0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. This is intrinsic motivation from a homies perspective. This is Hamza, and really excited to speak with our guest today. And before I introduce our advocate, I'd like to give I like to give a dedication. Actually, um, I want to dedicate this podcast to my sister, Salima tapers um, 2016. I like to dedicate this to uh, Professor Bing Lu, who was a a researcher, I believe, at the University of Pittsburgh, I'd like to dedicate this to uh, that couple in Panama City Beach, Florida, as well as the couple in outside of Houston. And the reason I wanted to dedicate it to them, and I wanted to um, list the suicide prevention hotline, which is 1 800 273 8255. And it's there are 24 hours, seven days a week, uh, for every, if you ever want to reach out to them. And I wanted to give them a shout out and a dedication because the guest today is also a suicide prevention advocate. He is the author of a book called The Bader Field How My Family Survived Suicide. And we're going to talk about that today and talk about some suicide prevention. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Carl David to the podcast. Welcome, Carl
1: thank you hamza pleasure to be here with you
0: sure on a on a lighter note before we actually started the call i found out that our guest carl is from pennsylvania so the first question i have to ask to get out of the way to make sure i don't hang up (laughs) is (laughs) what part of pennsylvania and is that the steelers or is that the eagles
1: it's the eagles we're philadelphia uh in most of our senses we're we're in philadelphia
0: very nice very nice we can continue this call then
1: <laughs> fly, eagles, fly
0: fly eagles, fly <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm originally as you can tell from uh what is it the delaware valley and uh had moved to florida <laughs> and uh, i ultimately live in atlanta now so there's a uh, three eagles bars here in atlanta
1: oh very cool very cool. Yeah, yeah, a lot of friends. I have an Atlanta connection. I went to Oberthorpe College uh, in the late 60s. After I got thrown out of Temple University and got reinstated. Um, that's a whole other story. But, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I wound up in Atlanta for two great years from 1968 70 and uh, really applied myself and, and you know, buckled down and, and um, I, I did what I was supposed to do uh, and made something of myself. I had to do that for too. myself and for my family. <laughs>
0: sure We'll <laughs> go owls too so temple owls shout out to them oh, okay um, yeah yeah uh, i do want to talk about your current situation a little bit because you are an art you're an art dealer i believe and Correct. you are currently stuck in florida and a lot of people have been stuck in florida they've been stuck in i want to say uh massachusetts uh, these were sometimes uh, vacation places, and they were stuck there because of what's happening with this global pandemic. Could you share your situation?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, we, every year we come down to Florida and we do art fairs in the winter um, because it's where a lot of business does get transacted, or at least you hope it does. And the crowds are here because, it's you know, the weather's great, and it's um, it's just a nice place to be. So we did the Palm Beach Jewelry Art and Antique Show. And then we went over to Naples, Florida, did the Naples show. And we actually have a second gallery down here called Provident Fine Art um, that our son runs. Uh, and we get enlisted, obviously, when we come down to go to work. And that's okay. So we had intention to spend some more time down here and then head back north. Um, and now we're just not sure. This this pandemic hit. Philadelphia is completely shut down. Um, I've got eyes and ears up there. And um, everybody's telling me that it, there's just nobody on the streets except an occasional jogger and businesses really have been shuttered Um, and unfortunately i think a lot of those businesses are not going to open up again because they won't be able to afford to you know with the restrictions of restaurants 25 percent capacity and whatnot so in the in the meantime yeah we're here and we're working remotely with uh you know access to computers and emails and cell phones and um it's working it's different it's just you kind of feel like you're on an island somewhere isolated. I mean, especially when there was a shutdown and you really weren't allowed to do anything or go anywhere. There were curfews in places. You know, i sure you could go out and get food and get gasoline and go to the bank. Um, everybody had really limited hours. So it's been a real change. Um, it's really been like bizarre, like we're in the twilight zone. But it'll get better. Sure. It'll pass and we'll get through it.
0: Absolutely and I guess they could say that you could be in a worse place West Palm Beach. So <laughs>
1: for sure, for sure.
0: It, the, re- the reason why I brought it up, Carl, is uh, your book, you're originally, he you said that you're, you're an art, you go to art fairs, and I believe your father was an art dealer. And you originally began your book as an homage to your dad. Is that correct?
1: That is absolutely correct. And, you know, as I got into it, and it took me years to write this book, I would put it down for her because it was too painful um, after having lost my dad and then having lost my brother eight years earlier um, to suicide. Um, It just, I I felt that I needed to write this book. Yes, it was cathartic and it was difficult, but I needed to do this to share my message uh, of basically what our family went through and how we survived it um so it's it's a combination of art dealing episodes in the book but it's really a very emotional non-fiction saga that reads like fiction
0: yeah and unfortunate fortunately or unfortunately we're on the other side so you know when that when we have that loss we experienced that loss for you know like you said it was eight years earlier that it happened and it was cathartic uh, as you're writing it for your father and you know, the, the people that we lose have no idea of the pain that they leave
1: behind. Correct. Correct. I think if they, if they knew or if they were able to see past it and then realize because they're in such a state of despair for whatever reason that they can't see beyond that. And, you know, people say it's a selfish act. Well, yeah, in a sense it is, um, but it's not something that anybody should or could ever be judgmental about because they can't help themselves. You know, it's whether they're in this abyss of darkness from um, a a biological imbalance, a chemical imbalance, or uh, some just inherent depression or whatever, who knows, you know, and you really it's not right to be judgmental of someone in that state, they need help.
0: Sure. And and that's why I wanted to give that dedication at the top of the hour. Uh, I lost my sister in 2016, uh, one of my sisters, and that's why i wanted to highlight those couples too and uh, dr bing lu because some of those were murder suicides so sometimes Mm. you that person may have it in their mind to do that but their partner may bear the brunt of it as well
1: right i'm sorry for the loss of your sister it's it's a hard thing to go through i've got one other brother who was the oldest brother and bruce was the middle brother It was between us and uh so I I know the pain and the, the shock and the difficulty of surviving something like that and getting through it and moving on. It's just not easy. And you know everybody says, well, you yeah, know you'll get over it. No, you don't. You don't get over it. You only learn to live with it as best you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, the one thing that you said, I think one of the best take, takeaways, and we just started the the podcast, was, you know, what, we'll get through it. When you were referencing the the pandemic. And it may be, you know, just your life experiences that let you know, you know, uh, this too will pass. And currently, the the stats are continuing to grow with uh, domestic abuse, and with couples that are in their houses and cannot go out, you know, so that may be that sense of despair. And if we're, I mean, there's people that I highlighted at the top of the hour, this is all within the last week, within the last couple of days. So who knows how how large that number will actually be, uh, but it's and unfortunately we probably won't know until it's too late. That's why I'm happy we had someone such as yourself to talk about this subject matter.
1: Right. I mean, there are you know worldwide uh, the, the most recent statistic that I could find, and this was going back a year or so, was more than a million people a year take their life uh, worldwide, and that does not count those who attempt it and that number is 20 times greater, and thank God they don't succeed. Um, And then there are those statistics that you don't know about, as you just referenced, as to whether or not you'll ever know that there was a suicide or if it was an accidental thing or if it was just some other cause of death. But suicide is really at an epidemic level. You know, almost 50,000 people a year just in in America take their life, and it's just it's a beast that – you, we will all do our best to try and thwart and push back. It may never be defeated completely, but you know we can do our best to try and push back and, and help people so that we can reduce these statistics a bit.
0: Yes, and one thing you said was that those attempts are 20, 20 times greater. And so I wanna ask you a, a back to the future question if we can go back in time. And I would sure. like to shout out uh, Gloria Parker, is a really good friend of mine. And in 2013, I had met her and didn't know, you know, to me at the time, I mean, now I know that there's no accidents. But at the time, I met her and it was it was really random. And I had found out that her daughter had committed suicide, right? And then as support to her, she would have she has this event every year called uh, our our sons, our daughters, I believe. And at the you know, you have all these, all these family members that come in, and it's just, you know, the give uh, homage to to those that have left. And I was just going just to support her. This is 2013. Right. And then I, when I look back at 2016, I was like, holy crap, like this prepared me, you know, and I was just wondering with you looking back, were there? Were there any indicators? or Were there any scenarios where you could look back and say, oh, wow, I can really point my finger on it, where you couldn't when it happened?
1: Uh, Truthfully, no. We had no signs, no indications. My brother was, at least seemingly, overtly, very happy. Um, He could take a car apart and put it back together again, which I was always in awe of. Uh, College was not really his thing. He went to night school at Temple University, but he was phenomenal with his hands mechanically. Um and he could he could kind of do anything and he was he was my hero. He's a proverbial um teenager with the with the shirt sleeve rolled up with a pack of Marlboros in there and, and the fast car, the hot ride. And every every scene, everything seemed to be, you know, perfectly idyllic. Uh apparently it wasn't. We don't know what the cause was. There were no notes uh, no signs that you typically see when some, someone's going to surrender their life they, you know they give away their possessions uh they walk around threatening suicide uh you know they t- they seem to drop out of society there was none of that none at all so this completely blindsided us and even in retrospect we still live with that question mark like, what was it you know his army unit was supposed to go to vietnam um and we don't know if it was had something to do with that or for something else altogether there were these visions on tv of kids coming back in body bags from vietnam and nixon was trying to wind the war down but yeah, who knows um uh, in retrospect there's you know there was nothing and and at this point if there were um it, it, we couldn't bring it back anyhow
0: oh right right um, the other thing I did want to mention when you talked about that percentage being 20 times greater for those that attempt uh, when when it happened to my sister, and this is now year three of going to this our fathers, our sisters, our daughters event. And it was kind of like, I don't know if I had a beacon. It's it one, it's one of those, um, those signatures, I guess that everyone sees now, you know, like when you buy a new car, you see that everywhere. And so when I had shared my story with my sister, so many people had come up to me and mentioned that they had attempted. You know, and when you said yeah. it's twenty times greater, I would think that number is even higher. And yeah. you know, the the interesting thing of of going to I I I went to support groups for about three years, and like you just said, there sometimes you don't get any 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 notification. You have no idea that it's going to happen. And, and that's pretty typical. It's kind of like, um, maybe they were the the other other thing is, guys, if they do it, it's immediate, it's like 100% it's going to be done. If a girl and this is a general, this is a generalization, but women, they may, um, they may cut themselves and it may be it may take some time for it to happen. Now uh-huh. it's not 100%. Uh-huh. But, um, just the people I've spoken with I, I wanted to know if you were seeing something similar
1: well I I, I agree with the statistics as far as that goes that uh, males are more prone to take their life than females and there are certain age groups and that changes from time to time I used to think there was teenagers who were the most um, vulnerable to suicide and they still are but then you get elderly people Who are sick, or they just give up because they're tired, and so there's that aspect of it. All and I'm really not sure where the the um, majority of suicides takes place as far as age group, but I think you're right, male versus female, definitely, and uh, you know the various modalities too, whether it's it's with a a gun or um, hanging themselves or drug overdose or who knows what. That there are aspects that are far afield of what we normally think uh but you know there's, there's another aspect to this though if, if i can go on for a second that um in today's world I i was focusing on veterans and armed services members because veterans everybody knows now it's 22 a day it's actually more than that they take your life and active active duty military uh, there's there's a number and i'm not sure what that number is but it's unfortunately there as well And what I focused on more recently in in attempting to help to reach out is law enforcement because law enforcement suicides are way too prevalent anymore. I mean, you got to remember these folks see the worst that there is in life and it leaves an imprint and they can't erase it. I mean, it's something they see that becomes part of their own mental motherboard, if you will. And I, I recently went through the Palm beach, Uh, Police and Fire Foundation Citizens Academy here in in Palm Beach and West Palm Beach. And when we were with the Palm Beach Fire Foundation folks, these are the rescue people and the firefighters and uh, who don't get as much respect and uh, recognition as they should because they are true heroes. They have a room in each of the fire stations with overstuffed leather chairs. It's a big media room with um, a huge screen TV and, and the chief told us, he said, do you think, you no, know, this is luxurious. And we sit here and we watch movies. He said, no, he said, this is the place after we see the horrors in life that we have to come to and shut the world out in order to survive because it's so overwhelming. They get this PTSD, like, like the military guys do. And it's just inconceivable. And it broke my heart when I was with these guys and I was hearing their stories uh, of, of what they see and you know, um, and I'm not going to go into it here because it's, it's, it's too upsetting and it's too gruesome, but they absolutely have to experience the worst that life has ever seen and they got to live with it. So, you know, a lot of these guys in law enforcement can't and they take their own life or they feel they're so hated by the public that what's the point, you know? And uh, I think the tide is turning a little bit where, they're opening up and and, you know are avenues to help them now where they weren't really recognized before as having had this stigma um on them that that caused them such ptsd
0: it it makes me think of um george carlin and you know he's a huge comedian everyone knows him or they should know him by the time you listen to this podcast. Or my people <laughs> that listen to this podcast, they listen to George Carlin. <laughs> so, so anyway, you, you know, he he was a Madison Avenue guy way back when before he really got his chops, and he was, you know, trying to do the whole uh, crispy clean, you know, straight lace type comedy. And, and <laughs> one of his after he changed, you know, it became his true self, he has this bit where he was talking about the marketing of the war and the effects. Have you seen that
1: video? I did. I did see that. Yeah, yeah, we were big fans. Yeah. He, was, he was He was amazing.
0: Yeah. And, and it's it's one of those where you
1: know, everyone's
0: saying it's 2020. So we have perfect vision. Uh, it, it may be something to revisit of what really happens and not finding a nice marketing Madison Avenue way to say, You know, today it's PTSD, but it started out as shell shock and other words that kind of accurately described what people were going through when they were in war zones.
1: Exactly. And now they come back with this fog of war and it just destroys them if they don't get the right help. I mean, look, today they've got therapy dogs, which I think are great. And they've got counseling. The VA doesn't I I don't think has the capability uh, to help these guys as much as the private sector would.
0: Mhm. Yeah. And and also I, I do have to say I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, my father did two tours of Vietnam and he's in his seventies now and he said that, you know, it was only a couple of years ago that he wasn't afraid to close his eyes at night, right? Because when right. he closes his eyes, he's right back in the middle of nineteen sixties. You know.
1: Yep. So, yep. I've got friends who were over there as well and um they still sleep with one eye open. They still have the, the the night terrors and the sweats and they wake up and they can't sleep. And, they, you know, it's just it, it's really hard to adjust to coming back into the world with that kind of trauma inside you.
0: hmm. Yeah. And we're talking, you know, if my dad did two tours, that was considered a lot back then. I mean, these guys are doing sure hands work, you know, uh, today. Yeah. <laughs> how do you do so many tours? It's just, and we have and we're talking about somebody still going through Vietnam. So I mean, we're like 60 years 50 years past that. Uh, One thing I did want to ask you, since you are in West Palm and you deal with the veterans and armed services, uh, we had a couple of guests on and they were talking about the opioid crisis down there. And are you seeing any association with opioid abuse and the veterans or armed services?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me backtrack for a minute. I'm a member of the uh, union league in Philadelphia and I'm on the armed services council, uh, the veterans club table and the American Legion post four Oh five. I didn't serve when I was younger. I couldn't, um, for a a host of reasons. And, And one of them was they saw that my brother had taken his life and Nixon was bringing the guys back from Vietnam. And, um, it just, they would not pass my physical because of that. Um, so I didn't have to, The chance to serve then, but I've been doing it now. I went through the FBI citizens Academy in Philadelphia about five years ago. And this past summer I went through the Homeland security citizens Academy program, which is something they pick very select. I mean, there were six of us in the class with like 12 agents. And one of the things we we focused on was the opioid epidemic and it is an epidemic and it's everywhere. Um, and it's hidden in plain sight. I mean, you, you don't just see it on, 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 um, street corners and in poor neighborhoods. I mean, it's, it, it hits affluence, you know, as well. And so these, these are things, and you know, whether it's with veterans or civilians um, it, it's rampant and it's out there and it's especially hard hit here in, in Florida because I think because of the location, I mean, you've got an influx of people from all over the world here, um, especially in Miami, which is, you know, it's a real hotbed. Uh, you got, you know, an influence of drugs down there that's just it's insane and it's hard to keep up with it you know um but the other thing that's even more important to me is the the aspect of human trafficking which is something in homeland security uh which is a a big hot button um to try and stop that because it's it's modern day slavery you know and it's, it's unconscionable and it's evil and it's disgusting um so yeah I, I could go on and on about that I mean I just you know but then again it, it ties in with suicide so um, it, it's kind of a fit but um, I don't know where else to go with this because we can stay on the phone for hours and I'm I'm really passionate about it sure and that, that's why we're happy you're on
0: we love that passion uh, because oh I, I wanted to ask you a science related question because in 2020 we, we now know um, that there are cells in our body, there's this one gene, I believe that it's an addiction gene. And if you have that gene there, you have addictive behavior. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're in drugs or alcohol, but it could lead to that. So I wanted to know if you had any access of dealing with people in the in the medical realm and identifying that.
1: Um, no, honestly, not really. I, uh, I don't know. I, I have heard that and I know about um, you know, addiction and the fact that there is a genetic um, predisposition um, to that in certain people. Uh, but I really don't have a lot of experience with that.
0: Mm, okay. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. Uh, since we're talking about vets, you know, initially, I I only thought of hand to hand combat or, you know, you're in the middle of the war zone. And in 2020, I had seen uh, a good kill movie. I don't know if you ever seen Good Kill, but have you seen that movie? Uh, no, no. Yeah, it's, a, that it's out. a really yeah, it's a good movie. It Came out in I want to say uh, like 2014 or so. But some we were had another guest on and they were talking about it, and um, I'm trying to look up as we yeah Ethan Hawke's in it, and they were oh, highlighting okay. they were highlighting his um, post traumatic stress disorder, and what happened was he. Had the original, I mean, he was originally overseas in, in uh, Iraq, but then at the cost of the war, he didn't have to go over anymore, and they were employing drones and drones, and so he was still affected by using drones, even though he was here on state and state in the states, but he was still going through the violence that was affected, the people that were affected by the drones. So you don't necessarily right. have to have that hand-to-hand combat anymore. And I wanted to know if you've been speaking with people that are still part of the war effort, but they're not physically there.
1: Um, I Yes, I have. And there are um, I've got uh, friends and people in the military and in intelligence and different um, branches of law enforcement and, and with specifically that with with drone um What's the word drone? Uh, well, drone usage. I mean, where they guide these things. And you're right; they could be in Willow Grove at the, what was the Air Force Base, which is a drone center. You know, operating drones in the Middle East somewhere. Um, and you're right; they have to live with that because they, even though they have a kill, and it seems superficial, um, it it still has to affect them and have an impact on them. There was another movie uh, with Bradley Cooper, American Sniper, um, that was also very powerful, and it showed you know, what he lived through and the guys he lost and the kills that he made. And then when he came back, how his family life was just so disrupted because of his change in behavior. You know, how do you come back from a war zone where you're, you're a warrior and you're basically a killer and you come back and you're trying to settle into a life that's domestic and peaceful and and calm and, you know, a wife and kids, excuse me. And, um, you know, it showed the torment that he, that he lived through he brought back with him.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you do? I want to stay there for a second, Carl, because, you know, I'm in the middle of the war zone day to day. And, you know, I, that was a part of my life. But now I'm sitting in you know, rush hour traffic, and I might get triggered by somebody <laughs> honking the horn at me. And I'm used to sit, and now I have to sit in the desk job for five days a week. Like, how, how do you make that transition?
1: Um, I, I think it comes with Counseling, and um, it's got to be a gentle transition where there's a lot of help and support. It can, You can't just transfer one life into another, you know, and, and automatically turn the switch and you're, you're a different person. It doesn't work like that. I, I think that people need to be, um, need to have some psychiatric help or psychological help to make that transfer, to, to understand the difference in the worlds and how to handle the triggers when they come up. You know, everybody's got triggers for something, for some response. And you just have to know how to deal with them. Um, I I had the benefit after losing my brother that I went – this was 1965, and I graduated from high school in 1966, had Temple University for two years, didn't really care. Um, and when I was at Oglethorpe College, it was college that now it's university, in Atlanta, I created the situation in my head where I set up a scenario that my brother – must be on a special ops Vietnam Vietnam, uh, tour to to kind of block out the idea that he took his life and he wasn't with me anymore. I just, it it didn't sit well. I I made images in my head that it didn't happen and I just blocked it out. Well, when I came back after I graduated in 1970, excuse me, I started to get these experiences where I was leaving my body I was completely out of control and it was like it scared the crap out of me because I had no control over it. I didn't know what was going on and it turned out that the emotional body which runs the physical body was saying hey pal um, we're not blocking these impulses anymore you know you need to deal with this and my parents were heads up enough to see it and got me to a psychiatrist who was a family psychiatrist who said I'm going to refer you to somebody because I'm too close to your family I can't treat you. So he gives me the name of a, of a doctor that I go see and he says, you know, you're a great candidate for psychoanalysis. And I said, Oh my God, I must be nuts. Woody Allen's been in psychoanalysis for 15 years and he's still screwed up. <laughs> so, uh,
0: okay.
1: so then the doctor explained to me, he said, no, no, no. He said, you have to be intelligent enough to be able to do it. You have to want to do it. And he said, you've got the the perfect setup to go through and unravel this ball of thread that's weighing on you and take it out a thread at a time until you get to the core. And then I think, I think he had said to me that the, the ghosts of the past become the ancestors of the future, something like that, whatever it was, it was like, you know, it, it, it doesn't go away. It, 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 you learn how to deal with it, you know, and as much as my parents taught me coping skills, because um, we were a really close family, it wasn't enough. I really needed professional help and I was very fortunate to have had the opportunity, to go through a psychoanalysis, it cost a fortune, but it saved my life. You know, I went four days a week for for, uh, for four or five years, or five days I a week you for were, four years, something like that. But it was it was, sure. it, was a, it was a godsend.
0: No, absolutely. I think that's where I think that was your um, we call it Godwings. That was one of our first podcasts, Godwings, where there's no really there's no uh, there's, there's there's no accidents, right? There's no such thing as a coincidence. And what you highlighted is mm-hmm. suppression right like we think okay I'm going to suppress these feelings or I'm going to drink them away or I'm going to uh, fill in the blank to suppress it and at some point it you can't suppress it and now you can't control it so it, it manifests itself in ways that are very damaging And it sounds like uh, you were caught
1: before that happened right exactly and by the way I agree with you totally that there's no such thing as a coincidence a coincidence or two instances intersect Um, And I don't think there's anything by accident. I think the the universe has a phenomenal design. And we do get these God winks. We get these signs. I've had signs from my brother. I've had signs from my father. Um, And they're very reassuring in that they let you know life doesn't end here. There's more to this than what we can see. Uh, You can't see electricity, but you can see the effect of it. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effect of it. So, you know, I'm well aware that um, life doesn't end here. Um, and yeah, I know I'm, I'm I'm not afraid to die. I'm not ready, but I'm not afraid because I know that this isn't it. But at the same time, um, you've got to live your best life, you know, as, as you can, because you may not come back, you know, and in that sense, you may only get one shot. I don't know whether people get reincarnated or not. They might. Um, I don't have any proof of that, but I do know that. you've got to make the most of life every day is a gift, you get up, that's a gift, because a lot of people don't. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I will go first,
0: because I'd love to get an example from you about that reassurance. And so um, I'll start by saying that, when we go to the movies, uh, they, you know, you get that sign of turn off all your electronics and silence is golden. And now we're locked in the house. I, I shouldn't say locked in the house. I should find a marketing way. Thanks, George Carlin. But <laughs> if we're <laughs> we're in the house, and now where we're actually confronted with all these things that are going around in our head. Now, if we turned all that off, like all the music and all the distractions off, there are subtle communications that you can get, and so that's why I'll share my story. So. I was I was just remarking at, you know, on social media, where people were sharing uh, places like Venice, where I've been and the is filthy, you know, super dirty. But because of what's <laughs> happening now, that water is clean, you have um, the animals are back out from animals are in the middle of downtown, which is crazy. <laughs> and it was, it was really quiet in the house. And I was like, wow, you were marking at that. And, and, and so from time to time, I mean, just like you, they're still a part of you, even if they're not physically here. So I was like, oh, man, you, were total, you totally are missing how great it is. We can see the sky. There's no fog. And I kind of got like a message like, nah, I'm okay, I'm good. You know what I mean? So it was that yep, reassurance, yep. like you were saying, that, uh, you know, um, I wanted you to sh- share a story where you were able to get some reassurance.
1: Okay, well, I've got a lot of them. In fact, I'd written a book, um, the other book I wrote after, after Bader Field, um, and I had to wait a, a while to write it because I didn't want people to think I had three heads, and, and you know then it automatically demeaned the first book, uh, which was important to me after Bader Field. But I wrote a book called Waking Dreams, The Subtle Reality, and it's about episodes of synchronicity that I've experienced and signs from the universe, if you will, and from those who've gone before. So we're, I'll take it back to one of the, one of the most poignant ones. Um, we're at the, the cemetery um, at my father's funeral, and the rabbi is giving a eulogy, and I'm there with my wife, and my mother's there, and my other brother's there, and it's a hot August day, and suddenly we hear this sound, and we all heard it, of a twin-engine airplane circling above, and my father was a pilot. And the last airplane that he had was a twin engine Piper Aztec. And I look up and I see this plane circling up there and there's no paint on it. There's no numbers. There's nothing. And it was definitively the sound of the Aztec. I knew because I had flown that bird with my dad for years. And this was his, his, after his family was his next love. Um, And I looked at my, my wife and I looked at my mother and my brother and we all nodded at each other and. Mm-hmm. it it was him letting us know that he was free he was okay he was free as a bird he was okay not to worry and that was it was just it was shocking but in a good way
0: absolutely yeah thank you for that uh, I do want to ask a, a second part of that question uh, the second part sure. is uh, another shout out I have to give I give a ton of shout outs as you can tell but <laughs> I have to give a shout out that's to okay it's good friend. Sure, sure. I want to give a shout out to my good friend, Joanne. And Joanne, this was another synchronicity thing. So this was probably I want to say, she was this little podcast, so I won't say the actual year, but it was before 2013. Right. And so she had lost one of her sons, And you know, we're all um, grieving and what have you. And one of her stories, I'm sure she doesn't mind me sharing this. But you know, he would come. While she, come to her while she was asleep, and she was still in the middle of her grief. And, you know, why did you leave and this and that? And he would go away. And then ultimately over time, he was like, I can't be around when you feel that way. And it took some time, but when she was happy, then he would come back around. And so wow. when my sister had transitioned in 2016, it was kind of that, I mean, we're all human, we're going to grieve. But then I remember when I was happy or I'm laughing at something like, I don't know, George, I don't want to keep saying George Carlin, but just laughing at something. And then she would come around. And so I realized that it's a vibration that kind of keeps them around that's higher because uh, the, the pain and they can't come around is, is us, our pain of not letting them go, you know, and, and I wanted to see what your take was on that.
1: I think that's pretty accurate. I agree uh, that a higher vibration will will um, bring them. You know, um, they, they they recognize that because they're on a higher vibration. They're on another plane of existence. And uh, I think in order to attract them, you have to be on the same plane. You've got to be on a, um, a level playing field, if you will. And, you know, I've had lots of signs and lots of whether they come as an electrical impulse or they come as a, a license plate with a name on it, or they, they come with um, – some newspaper article that you see and it's, it's, you know, the synchronicity is like incredible when it, when it hits you or a road sign, um, you know, and I've had so many of them and it's, it, you have to be open to it. A lot of people aren't, and they think it's, you know, not valid and that's fine. They, you know, they have to have their own belief system. Um, but I don't think they come to you unless you are open to it. And, um, my son, when he was probably, uh, in his 20s, had stretched out on the sofa in the gallery in Philadelphia and, and just was exhausted and dozed for a minute and all of a sudden he got up and said, what, you know, and it was my brother, Bruce, who whispered in his ear, hey, you know, and he knew it was him. It was It was amazing, you know, <laughs> and there are times I'll smell cigarette smoke in the back of the gallery and there's nobody there, but I know it's my father who's with me, you know, um, it's just, it's it's really reassuring. It's really quite incredible.
0: Now it sounds like you're pretty comfortable with it, as am I with the silence. How do you speak to someone that not necessarily grieving, just regular life, to incorporate that in their lives? They don't have to be in a in a in a in a pose, yoga pose, or anything like that, but just to you know, just like you said, sit on the couch or something, have the television off, the radio off, cell phones off. How do you get someone to take that first step to appreciating the silence?
1: Um, you mean as, as, take a step to talk to a friend or somebody? who? who uh, or yeah, it's just reaching out to
0: family. Old... This is the best thing it's just like bro. What are you doing? Oh, I've been sitting on the couch quiet. I mean, like you, like
1: you said, you, <laughs> you have to be careful who you talk to. But, but
0: there's know, a benefit. You know, there. Some
1: people think you're yeah, some people think you're crazy. Um, you know, and that's okay because they just haven't had the experience yet. But when they do and it hits them in the face, uh, then they know. Look, one of my favorite movies of all time um, is um, Field of dreams because it's, it's so poignant, you know, where he hears the voices and and coming out of the cornfield and turns around and like, what, who was that? You know, I I mean, and it's because it's a father son story and it gets to me every time I hear it. It used to get to me at the end. Now, as soon as I hear the music playing, I lose it. (laughs) Um, But, but, but there's things like that that, you know, I, people who get it, get it, who've had the experience, they know. Um, and, you know, like when you started to talk about, um, you know, uh, higher vibration and, and signs and there's no such thing as coincidence, I figured out this is awesome. You know, this guy gets it. I'm, I'm just really cool. And he knows. because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't, you know, but it's, it's nice to have a like-minded person who sees these things that are invisible.
0: I just think you're saying that because I'm an Eagles fan, but it's okay.
1: No, no, no. You didn't say anything about the Phillies or the Sixers. So.
0: There we go. There we go. Right. So I want to ask you but because we're kind of—I I appreciate it. And I want to. I think this leads to the next question because we're talking about friends and family, and you want to be careful and, and respect our boundaries too. I mean. I remember Christmas, and you know, buying that new toy. And I want everybody to ride that new toy because I'm enjoying it, but they won't necessarily <laughs> enjoy it as <laughs> much, you know. So, um, but that's my next question. So, you know, like, for 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 many of us, we don't know that it's going to happen, right? Like everyone's very reactive. But what if there was that case where you saw something? What do you do if you suspect someone may be considering going down that road.
1: Okay, um, there's several possibilities. One, if you're close enough to, them to talk to them and say, Hey, are you, are you thinking about ending it? Are you thinking about taking your life and, and you know, what's going on here? And then sometimes they'll just you know, they'll ignore it. And they'll say, No, 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 that's crazy, whatever, you know, but if you see something, um, you, you've got to reach out, you're better off to be a little bit overzealous, uh, and have been wrong than not having acted and done anything, and then you find out that that person took their life. So, you know, if they won't talk to you, reach out to their family, Um, reach out to you know 911 and call. If you think someone's really in a stressful situation and you're you're afraid they're gonna take their life, the worst you can do is embarrass them, but the best you can do is save their life. So, you know, if, if you know some of their friends, or if you know, if they won't talk to you or they deny it and you still think there's something wrong, you should really take it a step further and, and either talk to someone in their family um, and, and if not, maybe medical intervention or something. Just don't not do anything and sit on the sidelines and say, ah, I, I wish I would have said something. I saw something that didn't look right. You know, and it, it's, it, it, it's just, the worst you can do is humiliate somebody. But as I said, the best you can do is save their life because maybe they really were thinking about it. And maybe, you know, when you walk down the street, it never hurts to smile at somebody um, when they're walking by because that one smile may make that person's choice to live rather than die, to make them know that somebody cared enough to smile at them when they were having a really crappy day and they were just thinking about ending it all. Um, I'm not saying that's the end-all answer because it's not, but a nice gesture can sometimes make a real difference.
0: Absolutely. And I thought I was done with shout
1: outs, but I have another one based off of what you just said, Carl. So
0: I have to okay. give a shout out to all to all of the dentists out there. Because all of my dentist friends say that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. So if you're frowning, you're having a bad day, remember, it takes more muscles than that that frown's going to keep. And the reason why I'm going to I said that because you may have heard this story, but I'd like to share it. I think it's appropriate right now. Uh, There was a reunion. I'm saying that because my high school reunion was supposed to be this year. And they had to postpone it because of the you know, everything that's happening. And so it wasn't my school, but there was was a a reunion. And it was like a 20 year reunion or what have you. And at this reunion, but the the high school quarterback wasn't able to go he could he didn't go because he had died like the year prior. So they had like a, a moment to acknowledge him right. So everybody you know mm-hmm. he's a good guy blah 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 and so there was this one guy he stands up and he was like you know one of the Titans of industry he was in a fortune 500 company uh, doing extremely well and everybody's happy at how well he had done it at, at um, he's come so far since high school and he was like I gotta I gotta tell you about the quarterback I got to share my story And he said you guys remember I was a, a new kid and I was a new kid from school from across the country or whatever and it was this Friday, and I was taking all of my books out of the locker to go home. And then the quarterback was like, "Hey, you know, you need some help carrying your books." And I was like, "You're the quarterback, I, you know, know me from Adam." He was like, "Come on, dude, you know, whatever." So he was walking him home, and and so he was like, "Yeah, we got a party on, you know, Saturday. You should come with us." And the dude, and the guy was just like so taken aback that the guy had reached out to him, and he he said that. You guys don't know, but I had taken all the books out of my book back I mean out of my locker on that Friday because I didn't plan on coming back to school on Monday. I was actually going to take my life. And it was just that Oof. selflessness that the quarterback did. He didn't know what I was feeling. But just that human interaction. We have no idea how
1: we touch people. We're all connected. Right. Right. We really are. And, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. That, that's really quite striking. You know, I've done a lot of these interviews. I've done radio, television, journal interviews since the book came out at the end of '08, And um, I knew I had to do something with it because I had to take my darkest days and do something to benefit other people with them. And hopefully, I, you know, I feel like Schindler. I could have saved one more. What if I, you know, what if I could have saved one more? I should have done more. And I, I kind of live with that mantra in my head that you just never know. And the, that's one of the reasons I do these interviews, because I don't know who might hear them, who might get one more chance and, and choose not to take their life because they, they realize that there's help out there for them. They're not alone. They're loved. And you know, this is not 1965 anymore. Um, it's a different world that we're living in. It, in, a, in a way, it's colder and it's tougher. But there's a much greater awareness and there's a lot of avenue for help out of it that didn't seem to exist when the stigma of of suicide was more than um, than it was accepted. It wasn't accepted. It was frowned upon, you know, and it was people were judged. When I went back to high school after I was home for two weeks after my brother took his life and I went back and I was really apprehensive. And, you know, whether it was real or I just perceived it as such and it wasn't all I could think of is walking down the hallways, people looking at me and saying, oh, that's a kid whose brother just killed himself. You know, and that's a real difficult thing to live with when you suspect that the eyes are cast of judgment on you. And, you know, it took a while to get over that. And and finally, after I wrote this book, I figured I got to do something to change this, to reach out to people. And if I save one life, and I may never know, and that's fine. I don't need that. I'm not doing it for recognition. But it, it's like throwing that, that, stone on water and watching the ripples and in hoping that something takes hold and you know there's a there's that there's a good result Uh,
0: absolutely and uh it it made me think of when you're you said in high school when that happened right there was no internet so what about today if that happens in your family or someone that you know and then you have that stigma but that's all you see on social media like how do you handle
1: that well, that's brutal. That's one of the causes of, of kids taking taking their lives today because they're so hammered, and and abused emotionally, not just physically, but emotionally, 24/7, and they can't shut this off. I mean, they can turn off the the phone and turn off the computer and everything, but still, it's there and it spreads like wildfire and it's horrible. It's just so unfair. These kids today have no idea, what, you know, what they're doing to someone else and and the trauma that they're causing them. Because the people, some kids today won't you know, they, they just they can't bear it. They, they can't get through it. And they just decide to cash it all in. And that's just that that's a shame. That is really a shame. If I think if these kids today knew, or had a conscience about what they were doing, um, mm-hmm. the impact that they were having a negative impact, maybe they would stop doing it.
0: Now, I want to pile on there, because you said they don't know what they're doing. But one disturbing trend and you know, Facebook and other platforms are, are, are taking steps to try to, to uh, stop this. But some people are doing it on live, like they're doing it in real time with their phone on and have an audience. And sometimes you have trolls in, in those on those platforms where they're encouraging them to do it. And then it happens. Um, what would you say to that person that they're I don't I don't know what's in their mind. I don't think we'll ever know but that's a disturbing trend where they're they're taking their lives in front of in front of an audience
1: yeah i think that's horrible i really do um i i think it's unconscionable that they're pushed to that point that they will do that um because they've been instructed to do it they've been chastised they've been criticized they've been forced and goaded and prodded into doing something like that. i think the people that do that uh, should be arrested, basically for you know being an accessory to a murder, because that's what they're doing basically, and it's it's just it's 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 pure evil, you know. I I know that there's games that these kids will play um, that that encourage suicide. I mean, what the hell kind of world are we living in? This stuff even exists. It's 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 unreal.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing I I want to share with you. Uh, let me know if this happens to you. And it, it's—I don't want to say it was involuntary, but it was just something that I had to speak on. And so I was out. I was visiting my mom, and we had gone to get a quick bite to eat, and it was a fast food restaurant, whatever. And we don't usually—never mind about fast food. That's another podcast. But so, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we order, and then I go to the the cashier, and she has a purse arm, like all these. Um, all these marks, all these knife marks. And I didn't know for Adam and I was just so triggered. Right. And then like, so my mom was like, is everything okay? And I was just like, it just hit me. I was back to like 2016 again. And then, you know, it took me a while to settle down, I had to talk through it. And then when we left, I actually went up to her and I was like, Hey, you don't know me from Adam or whatever. And I was like, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, God loves you and all this. And I don't care if I'm embarrassed myself, you'll probably never see me again in your life. And I was just telling my mom that, what if somebody did that to my sister that day? You know, we just have no idea. Right. And I wanted to know, if <laughs> has that ever, have you ever been in, a, in an environment where it would just hit you to, to share a message with someone?
1: It, I have not, but I would definitely do that. I mean, if I saw someone in that, in that state or, or what I suspected to be, you know, a state of despair, um, I would definitely say something and, and try and encourage them, you know, that, uh, that there's hope for them you know, how bad it is. Um, You know, I've had people tell me, um, you know, that they're having a horrible day and, you know, their life is, has really gone to hell and whatever. And I, I try and reiterate to them that there's always tomorrow, you know, uh, wait and see what happens, make things change. Things do change as bad as it seems today. And my grandfather used to say that, you know, as bad a day as you're having today, tomorrow's different. It's going to be a better day. And I live by that. And there are days at work where When I'm in Philadelphia, the gallery, and everything is going south, and every deal is falling apart, and everything seems to be coming down on me at one time, I'll close and go home. I won't make another phone call. Um, I'll accept my wife. i say, I'm coming home. I can't do this anymore today. I'll start again tomorrow. This is just everything's going to trash today. No matter what I do, it's going to be no good. <laughs> so, um, and the next day is better. You know, it's just, uh, it's just the way things are. Nothing ever stays the same. And, you know, good, bad, or different, you know, it just – it changes. And I think people have to know that there's always another opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. This is the first year that uh, high schoolers and college graduates won't have a traditional graduation. And, you know, who who knows the ramifications of that years down the line? But in many cases, uh, you have – People maybe are my age, your age, and older that would say that's something that was good for them to toughing them up. Do you think that this generation is softer, and that's why you know we don't have the will to work through something? Is that a generational thing, or what do you why do you think there is a change with the well at least the younger folks?
1: Um, I think it could be a generational thing. I think that uh, you know a lot of these kids today uh, expect instant gratification. They don't want to work for it. They want it given to them. Um, I didn't grow up like that. I worked for everything and, and I had responsibility for everything I did. And um, I think that's, I think it's lost on a lot of these kids today. They've been coddled and, you know, they've been given without responsibility and, and, you know, suddenly they're a bunch of spoiled brats running around. Not all of them. I mean, there's a look. there's a great crop of kids in this generation too, uh, but there are some of them that just, you know, they, they expect everything for nothing and, they want it now, they don't want to work for it, and they're entitled. You know, well, guess what? You're not entitled. Go out and work for it like everybody else does. You know, too bad. <laughs> I don't have sympathy for kids like that that are growing up today and they're, they're spoiled rotten and they're driving their, their daddy's Ferrari and, and, you know, they they these estate babies that uh, they, they just they have no perspective, and that's sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Palm Beach County, <laughs> there's a lot going on down there for that. Um, <laughs>
0: I do want to ask you, uh, because, you know, there is that message of of staying in place right now, and the elderly are more prone to the disease, what have you? And is this an opportunity to reach out to them, right? Because they're lonely, they need that human element. But it it could be an opportunity for the parents to tell their kids, you know, we're gonna, we may not see her, but we're going to zoom or FaceTime with with grandma or grandpa and learn more about their lives because they probably are the most upbeat. I mean, they've been through world, you know, world wars and everything else. And like you said, they're going to we're going to get through this, it may be a time to uh, reintroduce elder elder statesmen of these of our family.
1: Oh, I think uh, absolutely. It's a great time to to reconnect. Um, Since you can't do it in person. Well, most people can't some can. But that you know, the Zoom thing is great. Um, even FaceTime on your phone, even a phone call. You know, if if nothing else, a, a lengthy phone call like you and I are having now. I mean, is is a great way to connect, and um, it it keeps people close and it it gives them something to look forward to again and and in you know, order to catch up. Uh, we've been watching a lot of movies and I've been reading a lot of books and I'm thinking about going back and relearning all the Spanish that I lost when I, when I, I was fluent. And I, I keep saying, I have to do this. I want to get my language back. I'm still fluent in French, um, but I lost the Spanish. And here's a great opportunity to do it while it's quiet. Although I'm working probably more than I would have been normally, uh, but it's it's different. It's on the computer and sending emails out to clients and, you know, trying to connect goods. Thank God FedEx is still working because if if I didn't have them, I'd have no way to have inbound shipments of paintings and, and send things out. Um, but yeah, I... I I digress, but I mean it's it's a great time to to restore communications and you know for families to get to know each other again for you know husbands who work their home with their wife and kids and the the kids must be having a blast. I know I had a real close friend who's got a, a um, he and his wife have a boxer at home and the dog is just like he said. I think when I go back to work, dogs gonna have separation anxiety. <laughs> Which is <it's> true, because <laughs> <laughs> they're not used to that Other dogs are saying, all right, when the hell are you going to get out of here already? I want my space." <laughs> <laughs> of the
0: coin. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Well, well, I have to say there's an asterisk by it because boxers can do no wrong. So whatever no, they
1: <laughs> They're great animals. I'm a dog lover. We we love dogs, and have always, and um, they just most times i like them better than people <laughs>
0: sure, sure. well i mean it, it, it's been a great hour of course and, and i didn't know about the other book but now i'd be remiss if you didn't highlight both books because it may be a package deal or would you do a package deal for people listening to the podcast that want to learn more about your story
1: oh sure absolutely i mean i'm available uh, my website's down at the moment. I have to have it rebuilt, and the book Baderfield: How My Family Survived Suicide. I've just gotten the rights back to, and it's going to take about three more weeks for it to be back up on Ingram Spark. So it'll be on Amazon and about 60 other digital markets around the world um, is downloadable. I think for a few bucks or whatever. Um, the soft copies are around, although they're not up yet, but they will be. They'll be back. And um, the other book, Waking Dreams the subtle reality. Um, I find myself <laughs> publisher just wrote to me two days ago and said, we need to either have you buy the rights back and, and you publish this yourself at this point and, and distribute it, or we're going to have to just shut it down. So and I'm not going to let it get shut down. I can't do that. I put too much, you know, too much blood in this thing for, for any of these books. Um, the other book was collecting and care of fine art, which was my first one. So, you yeah, I find myself being a writer of three published books and lots of articles and, um, yeah, it just you know, is what it is. But yeah, no, I'm happy to, uh, to speak with anyone. Um, and, and you know, if you ever want me to come back on again, I'm happy to do another podcast with you on the other thing with the synchronicity and science from the universe, whatever, I, I am available. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of intrinsic motivation from a homies perspective. This is Hamza and Carl, it was definitely a pleasure. And thanks for making the podcast today. Let's stay in touch.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure, Hamza. Thanks so much for having me on, and we'll definitely stay in touch. Fly, eagle, fly. (laughs) Thank you. All right, bye. Okay, bye. You still there?